Welcome to 97 Floor Radio. You're listening to an episode in the Mastermind Interview Series. Welcome to the Mastermind Interview Series. Let me tell you a little bit about it. We kicked off our first ever Mastermind in January 2018 with none other than best-selling author Seth Godin. And we're continuing the conversation right here with a series of interviews with some incredible thought leaders and visionaries. So if you want to learn more from the people running some of the biggest brands around, stick around and be sure to subscribe. We'll drop a new episode in the series every single week. In this episode, we're talking to Owen Fuller, entrepreneur and general manager at Lucid Press, an online print and digital publishing software. We chat about leadership, entrepreneurship, responsibility, and how simplicity will always be your friend in business. From team dynamics to work-life balance to the hundreds of other things that define success, Owen shares personal examples from his career to demonstrate how simple design goes beyond just products and web pages. Let's jump in. Owen, thank you for coming down and for, for chatting with me today. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah. Thanks. So we want to talk a little bit about Lucid Press, but first I want to talk about you. You come That's highly good. recommended as quite an innovative, just really like breakthrough mind. I'm going to have to question your sources. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I do but have I'm a good source. Yeah. 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 We know who that is. Well, um, Rachel from yeah. Chatbooks recommended yeah. us, and she's one of my favorite people. So yeah, and she highly recommends. Yeah, it. she's the best. she's a fan. So tell me a little bit about your your history. Everything I know a little bit, but everything leading up to Lucid Press because Lucid yeah. Press has been since 2017. But everything before that, you're you're an entrepreneur. You are someone who likes to build things. Yeah, you know, I didn't actually start out thinking that Sorry, I. Would, yeah, sure, sure. So I'm just scoot it up like a couple inches. Yep. You don't, don't have to move the whole thing. Why don't you slide it if you want? Uh, Having a hard time hearing me? Do you want me to speak up at all, enunciate? Or? No, you're, you're, oh, you're, you're volume. Yeah, okay. Because, I mean, I can go much louder. Whoa, that's whoa. like a radio yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Actually, yeah, on. I just started doing a podcast, and that is, I'm always having to remember to do the, the mic. The yeah, well, I just turn away from the mic. Okay. So that's just a tad back. Yeah. And by the way, you, you want me just engaging with her all the time, right? Yeah. Like everything yes. else is fine. Right. Yeah. 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 Locked in. That's right. Yeah. Do we have to start? Uh, let me just ask the question again. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, Owen, I want to know about you because you come highly recommended, and you you have this history. I know Lucid Press. We'll get to that, but that started in 2017. But before that. You started a company. You're an entrepreneur. You're someone who likes to build things. So give us give us the background there. Yeah, well, I'll even go further back for what it's worth because I grew up in Alaska and I did not think about entrepreneurship there at all. I, my dad was a librarian. He'd been a farmer before that. And so I wasn't a kid that for whatever reason grew up thinking like, you know, for sure I'm going to go start my own business or do the next thing. That seemed very distant. I thought I was going to go to school and study history and become a lawyer. I'd had a couple of brothers that had done that. Mm-hmm. But I think my whole career took a change that I didn't foresee when my freshman year at college, I came down here to go to BYU. I got a job at a startup that was called Digis. They were a wireless internet service provider at the time. Yep. And there were about five of us in the office. And there was supposed to be a guy to train me on how to do sales. But he disappeared on like the second day I was there. So I said, well, like, whatever you can figure out then is going to have to be what we do. Right. And it was fun. 
it was really, really fun. I learned a lot. I, I uh, served a mission for the LDS Church in the Czech Republic for a couple of years, came back and worked there again, and it started to grow, and it became, uh, in time, the largest wireless internet service provider in the country. And to, to see that was really inspiring. So I changed my major from what I was planning on in history to advertising, got from sales into marketing, and really started thinking like, hey, you know, if these guys who I've known all along can do this, maybe I can too. And I had this idea that, again, still felt distant, like maybe sometime I'll start my own company. And it ended up happening a lot faster than I would have guessed. I think it kind of shows a pattern for me of jumping into things that where I didn't really know what I was doing and uh, then having to figure it out, yeah. which uh, w was a blessing in disguise. I launched my first company that was all on my own in 2009, not long after I graduated from college. It was a... Uh, an uh, agency. At first, it was kind of a CMO for hire, and then it grew into being an inbound marketing agency. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of didn't know how hard it would be. I didn't know all the reasons why businesses should fail. And that's why I got started. And from there, I know that you, you passed the reins. Like that company still exists, even though... Yeah, so I sold it. Uh, I ended up having a partner come on, a guy named Dave Bascom, who would be another good person for you to have on here sometime. Yeah, Dave. Dave's a great friend. Yeah, yeah. Super bright guy. Was the founder and former CEO of SEO.com. And then uh, somehow I convinced him to join me and my, as my partner at Fit Marketing. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we sold that, I focused on a little software startup called Quizzer. <laughs> yeah. And with Quizzer. Yeah, yeah, it was really a good run there for three years, and now I'm at Lucid Press. Yeah, and you were telling us a, a great story about Quizzer, the whole the blue versus gold dress and how Quizzer yeah. played a pretty pivotal role in that. Well, that was one of the fun things about Quizzer is you always dream that something that you're involved with actually gets in front of a lot of people, that it gets used. And Quizzer was really satisfying in that way. I think the last year that I was there – some 365 million people uh, interacted with one of our polls or quizzes, and it's because they have this viral nature. So what Quizzer was all about is intelligent interactive content. So, you know, a quiz or an interactive experience that uh, might help you learn something about yourself or the world. So, for example, you know, which Disney princess are you is a classic example yeah. of one of those like light quizzes, somewhere more substantive and helping you make an important decision. But uh, there was a quiz on the Gawker website about this dress the night it took over the internet. And I, I was actually speaking at a conference in New York, had met with the Gawker executives or some of them that night. They went to dinner and then this thing started to take off. And I started getting pinged left and right. And they're saying like, this is getting to be really big, you can't let this go down. And we, it was very early in our startup life, so we had to you know, call back to the office. We had all these engineers coming in, they slept on the couches in the office that night as we spun up all these servers to try to you know, keep up with the demand. It was just tens of thousands of people that were hitting this thing every second. Mm -hmm. And uh, it did, it ended up being the biggest, biggest article that Gawker ever had. Of course, they later died that they're over, so I think it probably was the biggest that they had in their history. And uh, it was a wild ride for us, but really validating in that sense that like for a moment we felt like we had the internet on our back. You did. And I don't, did you see gold or did you see blue? I always saw gold. You? I always saw blue. Of course you're wearing a gold dress today, right? <laughs> okay. Touche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love that. I love that story. We were a big fan of Quizzer. We used it a ton here at the agency. I think that for a lot of our content we created yeah. because it was such a great way to get engagement and to have a lot of fun with content marketing yeah. and eventually, you know, throw in calls to action. But 
Yeah, that, that was the thing that I think was underutilized with it actually is that um, the power of quizzes was huge in getting engagement, holding people's attention more than most any other format, and then um, allowing for a conversion event and some really meaningful data to be collected. Mm -hmm. Actually, after I left Quizzer and everything came out with Cambridge Analytica and these other groups that were doing things that were kind of nefarious with data, I got a lot of media requests for people wanting to know what did Quizzer do with data. And I didn't really talk about it because... One, I'd moved on and was focused on what we were doing at Lucid. Uh -huh. And two, we were definitely in the lines of what I think is moral and ethical and legal and all those things. But I just didn't want to be in every story that was talking about, you know, right. all these things that have happened with data. But the truth is, if you're a business and you want to know about your audience, there's usually a much smarter way to go about it than just sending out a survey because people don't like to take surveys, but they sure like to find out something about themselves and quizzes help them do that. Yeah, give more information. Yeah. So. 2017, you came on as general manager of Lucid Press, and what does that mean? I mean, general manager seems like it could be like you you own all the things. Well, it's a good question. I like to let people just you know make up their own definition <laughs> and see where yeah. we land, and hopefully yeah. it makes it sound even more glamorous than <laughs> what I would share. But uh, being a GM is awesome at Lucid. I've heard at other places that sometimes it can be hard if you're an entrepreneur to kind of come into that role. Mm -hmm. But Lucid is an incredible culture. And I actually took a sabbatical after my time at Quizzer. And I thought about what do I want to do next? And the default was that I would start another company because that's what I've gotten the habit of doing. Right. And, um, you know, I looked at like, I kind of have this list of 100 ideas. And that's the only way that I can focus on one thing is if like, I have this list of things on the shelf, that's like, yeah, maybe someday I'll get to them. And I uh, was vetting those and Lucid reached out to me and it turned out to be an opportunity that I just couldn't pass up. Uh, because Lucid as a company is incredible. Uh, I had a a well-known member of the community that's an investor in uh, Lucid tell me that it's the best run company that he knew of in the state. So that was a really strong uh, reference. And uh, as I got into it, I started to learn more. I saw a lot of signs that that was true. And Lucid this year is growing in leaps and bounds. I mean, adding well over 100, maybe 150 people for starting the year at 300. And I've just not been at a company at that uh, scale and it, that's that kind of pace of growth. I thought it'd be really cool to learn about that, but I'm not, I'm really a startup guy at heart, and that's why Lucid Press is so neat. For people that know about Lucid here uh, in Utah, you've got Lucid Chart, which is an incredible product, widely known. It's got over 12 million users, and it's, it's not just uh, charts and diagrams, it's really helping you visualize uh, the, when you work so you can explain things in a much clearer, more compelling fashion and it's getting smarter all the time bringing in data into these diagrams. R really great thing and I used that and knew about it. I didn't even know that Lucid Press existed when Lucid reached out to me. It's their second product, uh, ours now. And um, so Lucid Press is all about scaling design which is a challenge that I really could um, kind of resonate it resonated with me because I'd been in the agency world. Yeah. And I'd been in this role where, you know, I'd been doing all the marketing for franchises and they'd say, hey, we have 50 locations and we need to make these little changes to these pieces all the time. And it was a headache. But people expect good design. Customers expect good design. We have iPhones with us all the time that are like pretty good design. And so there's this there's this tr trend kind of happening in the market where uh, customers expect good design. There's way more content than ever being created, but everybody can't be a designer. And so creative people are overworked, they're exhausted, they're inundated with really tough tasks. 
And that's where LucidPress kind of comes in as this magic solution. It is a de design and layout uh, platform, but what you can do that's, that's really amazing is you can set up templates, lock or partially lock them. And so then if you've got a team of a thousand people that need to have access to a particular flyer or social media, um, post or that kind of thing. You can make it available to them, but they can only change what they're supposed to change. And so they can't screw it up. Right. And that is, uh, that's why I think Lucid Press has had a ton of growth and part of why it's so fun to be there. Yeah, I would say anymore that we expect beautiful things. We like yeah. to be visually, you know, satisfied. It's yeah. not the 1990s anymore. <laughs> It was a good era for me. I mean, I had the MC Hammer pants. I was doing the new kids on the block thing, all, all that stuff. But yeah, I think expectations have changed. Yeah, everything has to be designed savvy and from, I mean, every, every single thing, like within your website, yeah. within your collateral. So that being able to collaborate too, that is like crazy unique. Not yeah. have to upload new files and have one person touch them in Illustrator. Like that's yeah. Again, I mean, we kind of expect that now, right? I think that's a big part of Google Docs. Like we kind of live in this collaborative atmosphere, and the old way of doing things. Like, no offense to Microsoft Word, great product, but they're not really innovating much anymore, mm -hmm. right? And I think that it's time for a new generation of tools that help us work better to emerge. And so that's what we're trying to do. Lucid Press is a team of, you know, about 50 people. We, and the way that it works, it's its own business unit at Lucid. We've got our, uh, you know, marketing, sales, customer success, product, and engineering all under one roof on one floor. And uh, we're taking this thing to the world. And so back to your original question of what's the job of GM is to make that all work. So onboarding, you obviously onboard because you you approved of what the culture was like, what the company was doing, yeah. maybe that being in that ramp up phase. But from day one, I mean, what was the main objective for you? Uh, going to Lucid Press, uh -huh. it was actually to um, create clarity. That was the the main thing that I wanted because it kind of Lucid Press has an interesting origin story where it started out as again the second product in a company where they had one product that was really thriving, mm -hmm. and it kind of slow rolled around as it was finding its footing and momentum. And we have over five million users, so I mean it's really a thing. But uh, we didn't really have a cohesive leadership team uh, when I joined. There were it, there were a lot of different groups that were working effectively in their silos. I wanted to have clarity and a cohesive leadership team, a unified vision, and I wanted to just start really um, taking some aggressive leaps forward in the business. And I feel like, hey, we're, you know, a uh, little over half a year in and uh, so far so good. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, I imagine you, you talked to Carl. Carl son. Yeah, yeah. Carl and Nathan. Yeah. And Nathan Rollins, our CMO. Yeah. And I mean, in those conversations, was it, <clears throat> all right, Owen, you need to just run with it or was it here the parameters and what you're working with well i feel really lucky again i've heard horror stories about how the gm structure has worked in other places that it's kind of um you know you get put in a spot and do you have all the resources there to succeed i, I couldn't have had a more opposite experience than that i really feel like they've given me a ton of autonomy and that was important for me right because a lot of my friends were surprised when I went to Lucid. They're like, how are you going to work for somebody else? Like, make, know, a lot of entrepreneurs make, yeah. make like bad employees. But I really looked at it instead as this great entrepreneurial opportunity to jump in and work uh, at a company that's at this stage that I'm familiar with while being on the executive team of Lucid overall and learning. And that's, I mean, truly, I try to contribute at that level wherever I can. Um, but I'm learning all the time. I mean, you, you mentioned Carl and Nathan. They're really 
truly brilliant leaders. And they're very understated, which is unusual in, in kind of the world that we live in full of hype. They're very substantive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Groh is the president, and he's been really involved in the marketing there. Lucid as well is the same way. So I, uh, I take a lot of notes, and I learn from them, and they're very supportive to me, but I feel like I've got all the autonomy in the world to make Lucid Press what it needs to be. Love it. Now, in terms of, I, I think I was, yep, you have... 5 million users, and you just announced like a huge expansion as of like December 2016. So is that when the pressure's on? Well, I don't think the pressure's ever off <laughs> in the game that we're in, right. you know? I mean, and, and I would say from an internal standpoint, as much as anything, we have very high expectations for ourselves, uh, for the way that we take care of our customers. And um, we've built a, a team of really, really bright, hardworking, kind, good people. And so, yeah, I feel the pressure uh, all the time, but I wouldn't have it any other way, right? I mean, that's, to me, that's very motivating and exciting. And um, I, I think there will only be more, it, it only, it, you know, you do hard things, so you get better at hard things. So I think that we're just going to keep being called the higher ground. We'll have more big announcements in the future and uh, the stakes will go up. That's awesome. Now let's talk a little bit about your team, especially because you've been in positions where it's, I mean, if you have a small team, you kind of have to make sure all the, everyone, everyone's playing a part. You have some A team players. Yeah. So what is your advice when it comes to hiring really exceptional talent and then retaining yeah. them? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on that. So, you know, you can edit out everything that is, uh, you, you're not going to like because it's going to be so, so long. long form. Yeah. yeah. Two hours so, later. Yeah. Good. Well, <laughs> let me just, uh, a few thoughts on that are, are one, um, I've seen a lot of, uh, people kind of searching for a formula to hire young talent that's very sharp and bright and kind of bring them up into the work world. Some tips on that are, uh, it, it Fit Marketing, we actually hired some interns at first, and we call it an internship, and things really changed for us when we thought of it differently and branded it differently instead as a leadership training program. Oh. And what we were really looking for was the very best of the best of the young kind of, you know, graduates or soon to be graduates of college. And uh, so we gave them a chance to kind of go through different disciplines at our company to learn about what they really wanted to do in the workforce. Because most people coming out of college, let's be honest, still don't know. I mean, I didn't and yeah. and most people don't. So we gave them that exposure and then uh, looked for an opportunity to then help them become what we call a generalist specialist so that they, they could build up enough general understanding of the business, of the way that it worked, that then they could learn about themselves to know where they'd specialize. And that was very attractive to top, top candidates. And I can think of the very first person that we had to come through our leadership training program. He came from Goldman Sachs. Uh, and this was like a, it was like a $10 an hour spot that he was coming to, which was a big change for him. But he wanted to get into this new world in marketing and he wanted to have this kind of a few month long experience. At the end of that experience, we were, it was clear to us that he was a star and you know, he it said a lot about him that he said, thank you, know, thank you so much for the opportunity he had. He ended up working there full time. Ended up, we ended up working together later down the road. And I watched his career progress from that to something where now he's, he's really truly a leader here in the, in the community and marketing. And so that was really satisfying to see someone kind of take that escalator up. And so I would just think a lot about the way that um, if you're looking to hire new talent, the way you're phrasing it, the way you're branding it, the way you're structuring it uh, to 
bring in the very best people and then put them on a, a pretty fast track towards leadership. I, that was a good lesson for me to learn. I, I found out later that working with people that are already very experienced is quite different. And what I say about that is you, you need to give people um, love and support and space. And space is the most important. Uh, when we're talking about people that are super talented because they don't want to be boxed in. They want to get like high level vision of what we're trying to achieve. They want to have a lot of different routes to go. You need to give uh, really sharp, experienced, talented people room to do things differently than the way you would do them yourself. Mm -hmm. And and so that's been kind of the, the next part of my learning about hiring and retaining really great people. That's, yeah, I think that's like dead on the, like, let me run. Yeah. Because <laughs> ultimately, if you try to box that in or try to man overly manage that, then it's not an optimal situation to thrive in. Yeah. So it's very different, right, than some of these people that came in early and I, was, I would try to make sure that they had a very structured path through. And then there's kind of an evolution where that kind of ends and the best and the brightest need to then be set free to tap into their potential. Fly. Yeah. Just that's right. Spread your wings and fly. Now, the reverse side of that would be when it's not a good fit. Yeah. Firing. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> well, it's uh, unfortunately something I've done yeah. a fair amount, and um, and it's never easy. Um, at least not for me. And um, so, a few thoughts on that. Actually, one before we get to actually the dynamics of letting someone go and some things that I've learned about that. I think it is really important to do it when someone's not a fit. That's one thing I had to learn as an entrepreneur is that usually when you're, you're kind of hanging on too long, when someone's not in a good spot, it's not just that it's bad for your business. It's not good for them mm -hmm. because they're, you, if you're doing all you can to help them be in a spot where they'll thrive and it's not happening, they're not thriving. And that impacts a lot of different parts of their life. And there's not a great future there for them. So that's kind of, you know, you have to recognize that. You have to be willing to make hard decisions. There's this great um, article I once read that's title is something along, along the lines of, do you have to be an a-hole to succeed in a startup? And um, I'll say jerk instead. I'm not sure what the ratings are for the show, so I'll keep it mild. I'm totally fine with a-hole. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the, the point is that there are a lot of people that are in executive roles, like Jobs is a classic example, Steve Jobs, where uh, they're kind of seen as being very uh, rough, with people. And the question is, is that important? And what this article taught me years ago is that it's not about being an a-hole, but it is about being a strong leader. And a strong leader is willing to do things that disappoint people, mm -hmm. willing to do things that are very hard, and willing to do things that are right, even when it causes a lot of pain. And some people that are leaders are almost psychopaths in a way, and that they can do that, and they don't feel that human pain and emotion, and they're just very clear-eyed. And I think that maybe makes it a little easier to make a decision like firing someone. I think that it can make it harder for them to connect with people. Mm -hmm. What I think is the best is to be a strong leader, make good decisions most of the time and be really kind. But when that's, when you are doing that, you end up feeling a lot of pain. That was a lesson that really crystallized for me. This was experience of needing to let people go. Still, you got to make the hard decision and it's going to hurt a lot. So it's maybe not a bright message, but at least kind of coming to peace with that, that that's, that's the path that you choose if you're going to be a strong leader and try to be kind. So when it comes to actually letting people go, I found to uh, not prolong it, to uh, 
be sincere and offer all the help that you can. There's a lot of different reasons where people are let go. Right. If someone's embezzling from you, your your options and what you can do to help them, you're like going as far as you can go. There's not a lot there. Yeah. Let's not like talk it out. <laughs> right. But if someone is just not a right fit, can you do everything that's possible to help them succeed and get into a place where they'll be a better fit? Mm-hmm. And I've seen that happen in some cases and it's made me really happy where people that weren't in a good fit where I was and they've, they've gone somewhere else, they've really excelled. And that was probably really pivotal to them, the fact that you were... <laughs> Yeah, you're willing to make the tough call. Yeah, and of course you never you never want to say that when you're having that conversation. Like this is going to be so good for you. You're going to be you're gonna, yeah, yeah, this is going to yeah. be great. I yeah. mean, obviously that's it's a hard and emotional thing. But the other the other point that I'd make on that is my favorite part of being an entrepreneur is getting to choose the people that I work with mm-hmm. and then seeing them progress and giving a chance to reward that progress that that progress. Like I, I'm you know, a softy in many ways. And like in those conversations, I often tear up and I'm like starting to cry because I'm like, I'm so excited for the chance to see someone, you know, make a big leap forward in their career with a promotion or something like that. But it's really not fair to get to celebrate and enjoy that if you're not willing to have the hard conversations when it's not working out. And just one more thought on the letting people go thing is I try really hard to hire slowly and have a very high bar and get great people. And I think that does a lot to set your culture. Sometimes what makes an even bigger mark on your culture is who you do let go. Because otherwise, if, if people are like kind of not pulling evenly and after you do all that you can, you, it's still not working, it's going to be very hard for your top performers to feel really great about where they are if they're not surrounded by others who are that way. And so that's another thing you got to think about is what does it say about your culture when you just hang on too long. Yeah, to one who's not preferred. Yeah. In terms of, I imagine you have a pretty good tribe of like-minded individuals. I know Rachel, obviously, yeah. friends. And Rachel's recommended quite a few people, and she just seems to have a really robust like, group of people. And that's kind of what we're doing with this series. It's the idea, of the, it's called Mastermind, but the idea of a mastermind is that you bring people together intentionally to mastermind around something, to idea yeah. around something. Is that something that you actively seek out on your own? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I heard very early in my career this idea of never eat alone. Mm-hmm. And I'm an extreme extrovert. Like any personality test that I take, it's like way off the scales, like almost weird. Like what's wrong with you? You're so extroverted. And I, that's, so that's where I get all my energy. It's like uh-huh. I really want to know about other people and spend time with them and connect with them. And, and so I've leaned into that in my career and I've seen that um, kind of come back as, and benefit my career in a big way. And in ways that were unexpected or that I wasn't necessarily planning on, but just this idea of regularly getting together with people that you really admire and respect, listening a lot. It's what they say um, has been a big thing. And so I, I mentioned this time before I joined Lucid Press where I had a sabbatical. That was where really uh, all of those connections kind of emerged in a different way. I'd been so busy doing what I was doing, but then I stopped and I had time to you know, do a couple meals in a day and just talk to people and see what they're thinking. And, and you know, a, an advisor or a mentor that really stands out is Jeremy Andrus. He's the, he was a former CEO of Skull Candy. Now he's the CEO of Traeger Grills. Yeah. And I mean, the things he shared in those instances, I 
changed my whole thought process about what it's like to be a CEO, what it's like to be a leader. And uh, I asked him, I kind of said, he, and he was doing this at a very busy time for Traeger Grills. He'd be like, yeah, come over to the office. Let's hang out. Or let's get together. I kind of asked him, I said, Jeremy, like, this is really nice of you. And also maybe like too nice. Like, I'm sorry to infringe on your time. And he just said, you know, uh, I had mentors that were so charitable or generous with me that I feel like that's kind of the circle of life. And if I can help, I want to do it. And uh, so again, really inspired me to hopefully do what I can for others that way. And there's a lot of that in the community here in Utah. Yeah. And just pay it forward. Now, in terms of, you know, there's a lot of value to be had by having a a group and definitely having mentorship. But if you're starting out and let's say, especially if you're not extroverted, yeah. How do you do that? How do you find good fits? How do you insert yourself into someone else's very busy schedule? Because obviously you want to be mentored by someone who probably is doing a lot. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the answer is simple, actually. Uh, Do all that you can to support other people. You know, there's there's a Zig Ziglar quote. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's uh, it's often shared about like if you make if you help enough people get what they want in life, you get what you want. Something along those lines, and the sentiment there I think is key. Like I I get a lot of requests that come in for people that are like looking for uh, the next opportunity, and they're kind of like, hey, do you know of something? And I I hadn't thought much about that, but. Uh, I, I mean, I was happy to help. That, that's kind of the thing, right? As you help, you, you look at, you help where you can. Mm-hmm. And then when I had the sabbatical, which was the first time in a long time I'd not been like crazy busy and I was traveling and just kind of taking time and thinking about what, what to do. Then I kind of like put it out to my network. Hey, I'm thinking about what I want to do next. Then all of a sudden I got this huge amount of outreach from people with really interesting ideas and startups and connections and all this stuff. Like, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to think about this? And I realized that that like when you, when you keep paying things forward, you just get so much more in return. And I, it, it was, uh, you know, kind of blew me away and just made me super grateful for all the good people that are here. So back to your question, what do you do? You focus on helping other people. I think, um, be considerate, you know, um, uh, look for ways to enrich people's lives, you know, invite people to things that are fun and, and good to do. Be a giver and everything will work out. I think whether or not you're an introvert or a crazy extrovert. Crazy introvert like you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mentor university students and a lot of times they'll ask, you know, I don't know how to to ask for something when I can't give anything. I feel like I'm in a position where I don't have anything to give. I don't have any experience. I don't have any insights. And for them, I've always told them the art of listening is a give. Yeah. Because what they have to say, you know, oftentimes they might be sharing it in bits and pieces, but to truly feel like someone's engaging and then going and doing something with it, you're giving back to to whoever you're men- mentoring. That's such a good point. Mentored by me. Yeah, yeah, that is such a good point. And I think that that's, that gives anyone who's in a mentorship role a lot of juice, a lot of like desire to do more. Because it's like, hey, if I could just help someone not make – 10 of the dumb mistakes I made, that would be really satisfying to me. And so, yeah, I, th- I think um, being really thoughtful about actually doing something based on what you hear in those interactions is brilliant. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, in terms of, you know, I guess going back to, to leadership is what keeps you, Owen, up at night? Well, um, I, I have very uh, ambitious and aggressive goals for uh, our business. And, and I kind of see the CEO's job as revolving around a few things, vision and uh, culture and the right people. Yeah. And so that's, you know, my title is GM, but I, I frankly just act like I'm the CEO of Lucid Press because that's what the job entails. That's how it, that's, so, you know, when I'm in that mindset, it's, it's usually something in one of those buckets. It's keeping me up. Uh, I like the Jeff Bezos quote where he says, you know, pay attention uh, to your competitors, but obsess over your customers. Mm -hmm. So I, I will feel pangs about areas where we're not quite getting it right with a customer. I'll feel concerns if there's something in our culture that seems adrift or off. And uh, yeah, that, that's what I spend my kind of concerned thought cycles on. Yeah, that extreme ownership of just wanting to do more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the real drive. It's like, what what can this thing become? Like, yeah. there, there's there's some you know uh, best case scenario that I think we're trying to get this to, and I don't want to get in the way of that. And it's frankly, sometimes I do. Like, right, I'll I'll say something in a group meeting, and I'll realize like, ah, that didn't that what that didn't quite land, or that wasn't quite right. Like, what's the best way to make sure I get out of our way, help us have clarity, and go do what we want to do. Now, outside of that, outside of the business context, I have this like bleeding heart and I have this other part of my life that is in the kind of like nonprofit world and the world of public service with some um, things that I've done there. And so there's this old Greek poem uh, by Aeschylus where uh, a line of it says uh, to make gentle the life of this world. And like that, that keeps me up a lot at night too, mm -hmm. is this idea that, you know, we have so much and I don't mean to be cliche about this at all, but it's just this idea that there are so many people for whom life is extremely harsh. And so if we, if you're, if you're gifted with the opportunity to um, be in a place where you have some resources or you have the ability to bring people together, like are, what are we doing to make life more gentle for people? And that's kind of like my bigger mission. And um you know, outside of that, it's what my little boy is doing and what's going on at home. Love it. Yeah. Now, speaking of Jeff Bezos, he also mentions when people say work-life balance, he's like, yeah, I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe yeah. in work-life harmony. Yeah. And I also think of what you just said about giving back. It's it's almost an all-inclusive adventure for companies anymore. They have to provide, you know, a great culture, but also a culture that demonstrates that giving back to communities or a specific cause and how like if you were talking to an entrepreneur who's just getting started and they obviously want to aspire to that but how do you start infusing that early you know it's a really great question and uh, the best advice that I actually ever got on that was from of all, of all people Mitt Romney who just won a primary race here in Utah for the Senate yeah he was just here too here for this thing um, no, he was speaking at a number of events. He was at the Utah Board of Education, so I got to see him keynote there. But before that, he actually had a bunch of um, – I had a couple people come in to interview after they had lunch with him. They had like a – it was just like 12 people. I'm like, oh. 
Well, we need to get Mitt in the mastermind. Okay. Because okay? he's one of the few no. people that's going to straddle this world of business and public service and all that. But, you know, uh, I think he has a lot to to offer on that front. I, w- I was in a meeting with him way back in like 2011 or something like that. I mean, it was quite a while ago. Uh-huh. And uh, a person asked, Mitt, how did you maintain work-life balance? And he said, well, uh, you know, at home we had a bunch of boys and he was leading Bain Capital, which was a, a big uh, endeavor professionally. And then in his church life, he was uh, in a leadership position. So he said, at work, I tried to set clear boundaries and say, like, I'm not going to go in on Sunday unless there's a real emergency. And he always felt like uh, his partners were working more and they needed more of him. And he felt like he was really letting people down. And he said in the church sphere, he felt like he was delegating more than anyone ever had and that he was gone too often for things and that he there was more that he wanted to do that he couldn't get to. And he really felt like he was letting people down. And at home, he had all these boys and he said like, Anne could really use some more help. And he would try to be super present when he was there. And Anne had this thing where she could go play tennis every day to get a break, but he felt like he was letting people down. And then he stepped back and, and said, well, at least I guess that's balanced. And and I don't mean that to be like, is a downer? Uh, but I think part, again, part of like being an entrepreneur, I said is, I think if you want to be a strong and kind of kind-hearted leader, then you have to get used to feeling pain. And I think if you're trying to do a lot of big, hard things, and I include like having a great family, a, a hard and important thing, you're going to have to get used to like, letting people down sometimes and, and getting and understanding how that balances because things have that they'll ebb and flow. And you just can't predict if that moment where your kid is going to need you so desperately is going to be the moment where the board is going to say this has to be done. And so I think to have your priority straight is like, it, it is, it's family first, but kind of recognize in the circles that you're in that there are going to be times where you can't do all that you want to do. And some people will feel let down. So I, I try to limit the buckets that I have. I, I really am, I haven't figured out how people, you know, can really scale themselves like, um, you know, Sir Richard Branson or people like that. I'm, I'm not there. I don't know how to do that. So I try to keep it limited to a few small buckets mm-hmm. and then recognize that still I'm going to feel like I'm letting people down sometimes. And I have to be at peace with that a bit. It might be a byproduct of, of trying, of like being yeah. you know, a participant in life. We, uh, I talked to Jim Higgins, the CEO of Solution Reach, and he mentioned intention. He said, you know, that you can, you can go a long way with other people by setting a, a good intention. Yeah. You know, to execute fully on every single thing may just not be humanly possible. But if people know the intent is to take care of them and to champion them, then I think that's the best thing you can do, just that aspect of human empathy. Yeah. And just extending that. So I think that, that all makes sense. Now, the last question I would ask is what do you hope to be remembered for? It'd be legacy. Some yeah. legacy. Yeah, it's a great question. And and I actually would just one other note, um, this question reminds me of as far as getting the best from people or a team. Everyone that's worked with me for the last few years has gone through this exercise that I call the dream board exercise. And it's in a one-on-one setting, I like to talk with them about three questions. This was from another a company that I'd heard it from uh, years ago, but it's what experiences do you want to collect? How do you want to grow? And how do you want to contribute to the world? 
And uh, the question you're asking is like, what do you want to be remembered for? Is really closely tied to number three. It's kind of the eulogy question, you know, not to be morbid, but it's like, when you're gone, you know, what, yeah, yeah. What, what's left behind? And because I, I'm so often talking with people about that in, in, in the work settings, I think it's a shortcut to really know what makes a person tick is, um, gives me a lot of time to reflect on it. And I, I hope, I hope that I'm known first and foremost as being a great dad. Uh, you know, the, like the kids that you bring to the world, like they don't have a choice. Like they, they, they didn't, they didn't choose to just show up there. Right. And like, yeah. that, that's, that's your thing. So I feel a big responsibility uh, for that and, and all the, the family components of that. Um, next it goes back to this theme that I mentioned of making gentle the life of this world. Like I, you know, I don't, want to um put all of myself and my the the things that i've learned towards uh just uh things that benefit me so how can i take this this really fortunate path that i've had of even with a lot of mistakes and a lot of you know uh ups and downs and everything it's been a pretty incredible career for me and i hope there's a decades left of that but how can i take those things and how can i maximize the benefit for people that just don't have much opportunity and i don't usually that can mean you know kind of it can conjure up images of people in far-flung places and certainly that's the case there are countries that are just devastated by poverty but i mean there's lots there's lots of people right here close to home right and i you know even in utah i think about people in rural communities right now and uh what can we do to help them to kind of bring opportunity that way? Is there something with technology that can be done there? Um, so yeah, this idea, this general theme of making life more gentle for people um, is what I hope I can be remembered for. And I think I've got plenty of work to do to realize that. I love it. It's a great legacy to be known for. Thank you for coming in, for sitting down with me today, for being so generous and so gracious with, with your time. Thanks for the chance. Yeah. So great to be with you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode in the Mastermind interview series. If you did, don't forget to subscribe. You can also catch us at 97floor.com where we'll have show notes and links to resources along with the video interview for this episode. Or you can catch us on our YouTube channel where we have many more in-depth conversations and how-tos about all things digital marketing, business, culture, and thought leadership. Until next time.